But we really started asking ourselves, how necessary are we as a library to helping our community heal? How do we respond? How do we, as a library, carve out a space in our community for those that want to have these deep conversations and facilitate safe spaces for people? Welcome to FYI, the Public Libraries podcast. I'm Kathleen Hughes with the Public Library Association. Today, we are talking about a project called Let's Talk Race, developed by the Richland Library in Richland County, South Carolina. After the murder of Walter Scott in North Charleston and the Charleston Emanuel AME church shooting, both in 2015, many South Carolinians were angry, confused, and frightened. As neighbors, friends, family, and staff struggled with how to process these events and how to move forward together, the library started using small circles of dialogue to spark courageous conversations about race. Since then, Richland Library has hosted more than 250 events and community conversations, working with more than 4,000 participants. Realizing this project could translate to the larger library world, the team at Richland developed a free curriculum for libraries and other groups to use to implement Let's Talk Race at libraries across the country. Our guests are... I'm Tamara King, the Chief Equity and Engagement Officer at Richland Library, and I'm also the co-lead for the Let's Talk Race team. Hi, I'm Heather McHugh. I am she, her, and hers, and I am the Children and Teen Services Manager for our Richland Library system, and I am the other co-lead for the Let's Talk Race team. Welcome, Tamara and Heather. Let's start with an overview of the Let's Talk Race project. The project began in 2016. What were the library's objectives at that time, and how has the project evolved? It was really a raw time for us at our library. There were protests happening all around us, specifically because we we're with a block or two away from the state house. And so that's where a lot of the protests were. And especially with the flag going down around that time, the Confederate flag being removed from the state house grounds, there was just a really a lot of time of upheaval. And I think I remember just feeling lost, but making sure that our library did not get lost in the process of trying to heal our community at the same time. And so I really sat down with our executive director, Melanie Huggins, with the intention of us doing, I think this is the trend with this curriculum. I I think it's going to be one small thing. I think it's going to be a small conversation. I think it's going to be a small project. And it turns into like this big thing. For us, having that conversation, which I think only happens if two people can be really honest with each other, and that's in your working relationship. And I said, listen, our staff is really hurt. Several people knew church members that were part of the Manual 9 or had some connection to the Manual 9. I personally knew Clemente Pinckney, who was the pastor. And so we need to do something. And I think that was the whole catalyst for it. It was asking the question, how do we respond? How do we respond in a way that is best for the library and best for the community in a way that maybe no one else can fit in to that, that lane? And at the time, where else could you go to have conversations about race in an unbiased place or a neutral space as far as having the conversation, not neutral to hatred and racism and intolerance, of course. But we really started asking ourselves, how necessary are we as a library to helping our community heal? And I think that has been the question that has been the through line, I think, through this entire process since 2016. How do we respond? How do we, as a library, carve out a space in our community for those that want to have these deep conversations and facilitate safe spaces for people? Heather, what are your thoughts? 
being able to acknowledge everyone's humanity, not just the people that walk in our doors, but also our staff and what they may be dealing with, because those were huge, huge issues. So not only did we have community conversations, but then we definitely had conversations with staff. And those were, um, I think, some of our most honest and some of our most raw conversations and vulnerable. Heather, we talk about those being the most vulnerable conversations. I think that's something that people need to know when they're using this curriculum, because it is one thing to have this conversation with people you'll never see again. There's a certain freedom that people have when they walk into those rooms because they're like, I don't know this person. I'll never see them again. So there's like, I can lay it all out there. But when you start having those conversations which is, I think, one of the great things about the curriculum that it kind of teaches you to have these conversations in small groups and big groups. But people need to understand that that's probably where you're going to get the most push, the most resistance, the most opinions, because it's those revelations. When you hear someone say, my whole life, I grew up in a family that was racist. And then you have to see them again and again and again at your office. It's different. But I think with the curriculum, it helps even in those circumstances, create brave and safe spaces for people, the space to be your authentic self and, and, and lean into that authentic experience. Can you talk a little bit about the beginning? Those first conversations, we were so new, so green. <laughs> we didn't know what we were doing. I think one of the best things that we did was we had let's talk race conversations with ourselves. We got someone to train us. But before they could even start to train us at all, we started having the conversations within ourselves. So we'd already gotten really comfortable with being uncomfortable around each other. We'd gotten really comfortable with saying the things that we don't want to say or that asking the questions that we are kind of nervous to ask. Those first conversations were really this opportunity to get to know us as a team. And then those people that trained us, they helped us at the beginning. They created our facilitation guides. They held our hand through the process. They were really this wonderful shepherd to helping us get to the next level until we could kind of walk on our own. We were taking these baby steps with them. And then when they let us out the door, we were able to kind of have these conversations. Um, our first conversations were about social justice. And we were actually the social awareness task force because we were tackling everything. Race just was the thing that kind of stuck. But those first conversations were everyone sitting in a circle. And we would have sometimes nine people show up, sometimes 20 people show up because it was scary to kind of say, let's talk about social justice. You know, we'd have a topic like social justice talking about Just Mercy. Then the next one we had at a shelter for women, we did all women, women that we knew in the community, women that were experiencing homelessness, women that were disabled. We just really ran the gambit of having these really difficult and tough conversations, not just about race, but issues that at the core have race in them. So when did you realize the program was going to work in your community? Based on those kind of late workday conversations I was having with Tamara, I decided just as a participant, I wanted to start coming to some of the conversations. So I, that's what I did is I would just stay late and come to the conversations. And one of the things predominantly, it was almost exclusively our Black community showing up to have these conversations. And I would leave and I would be so frustrated because I would just think, you know, if only one part of our community is showing up, we can't solve these issues because it's going to take everybody coming together to really get honest and to get vulnerable. And this is how we have these conversations. And through the first two years that I was with Let's Talk Race, we start to see the demographics change. And then I think it was, we had a conversation, and I think it was around sports of all things 
things and race. I walked in and there were like 80 people ready to have the conversation. It was super exciting. That was like our first time having that many people and that diverse a group. And that was when the community kind of understood what they were going to get when they walked in the door to Let's Talk Race. They knew that it wasn't going to be a space where people are yelling at each other or the facilitators are going to let this thing get off the rails. People knew who we were at that point. We'd already introduced ourselves. We'd already shown ourselves to be a place where people could come and really get impactful conversations and courageous conversations. The more that we had these conversations, like the conversations we started at the beginning, and then the conversations we had after the murder of George Floyd were very different. We were more practiced. We were more ready to have the conversations as we'd been doing it. It doesn't happen immediately. The interest is always there. And then also you see how things change, even in that short time. That for me was when I thought there's traction. We started the Let's Talk series. It'd be Let's Talk Women's Rights. Let's Talk Social Justice. But then when we really fine-tuned our work and narrowed our focus and said, listen, before we can talk about women's rights, before we can talk about social justice, we really have to unpack race and racism and white supremacy until we really got to the bottom of that, as far as the community and talking it through, there was no way we could handle some of the other bigger topics of the day. What is the program looking like now at your library? We have been growing from those moments. We found new partnerships. We have an awesome partnership with our junior league, and that's a huge organization in our community. And we've worked with our city pockets, departments of our city government, and we have partnered with our Columbia Museum of Art. Probably one of my favorite conversations is we had the intersection of art and race, and those were some really powerful conversations. So this summer, we're really excited, again, partnering with the Columbia Museum of Art, and we're going to be talking about Indigenous and Native issues that impact the community because we do have reservations and tribes in our state that um, we're really, really excited to kind of hear from tribal members and, and really uncover that and get our community into that conversation. Being able to see how we're growing in that respect, too, is really exciting. Exciting. I think our library has grown a lot. We've challenged ourselves through these conversations. We were already kind of focused on EDI, but not as seriously, I think, as we started to in 2016. I think Heather and I have had all kinds of conversations that you typically do not have because I am African-American and she is a white woman. We come from totally different backgrounds, but we still love libraries. So that's at the core of who we are. And because we have that commonality, we do talk about everything. And I think because of that, our library has learned to talk even when it's uncomfortable, even when we both want to just put our heads down and be like, oh, I don't want to do that. We still have to have those conversations. So our library has grown tremendously. The fact that we have four or five EDI focused committees, we have the EDI Council, we have the Rainbow Committee, which is focused on LGBTQ+. We have the African-American History and Cultural Events Committee. We have Let's Talk Race. We have Univos, uh, which is one voice and for Spanish-speaking members of the library to help really reach out to that community. So we have all of these things that we did not have in 2016. And I would say that, yes, while our conversations have changed and include more, I think we as a library have changed because of the work of Let's Talk Race. Like many other libraries, we're doing a diversity audit with our collection, and it's an ongoing process, as, as many of you know. It doesn't feel like we're just checking a box. When we created our um, diversity, equity, inclusion statement, it felt like real work is going on because we're having these conversations as a staff and we're taking the time, and that's huge too. Public libraries are so busy, but to actually carve out time for your staff to try to have these conversations, 
not only can connect at, at deeper levels with each other, but also like, so they can see and be seen. Like we've had some hard conversations about, you know, do you feel like you can be your authentic self at work? And what I've heard has been really impactful and really made me understand my colleagues in different ways and understand their experience and how it's different than mine. I had an experience and this is when I knew that our library had reached another level of being okay with the conversation. I was with a colleague and we were going upstairs to where um, our business and career office department is, as well as our social work department. They're all on one floor. And there was a, a Black woman. She came upstairs and she had, you know, a briefcase and a few other things in her hand. And she was looking around. My coworker looks at the Black woman and says, hey, ma'am, are you here for social work? And she says, no, I'm here to do some interview coaching. And it was done. But I took that moment to pull the coworker to the side and I said, listen, you may not realize what you just did there, but that's a little bit of a microaggression. That was something that you just need to be aware of. You assumed because this black woman came upstairs with a briefcase in her hand that she was here to see social work. This is a big library. She could be here to see anything. And the person took what I said. Maybe a day later, they came to me and said, thank you so much. I appreciate you doing that. I hadn't thought of that. I've really been thinking about it. I've really been dissecting it. And I thought, you know, that could have gone different ways in another library. There could have been a lot of fragility and a lot of hurt feelings. I could have not said anything to my coworker. I could have been like, and talked about it all around the library. Like, can you believe she, you know, they did that. Can you believe they did this? But instead, it was an honest conversation. It was an honest moment. That was when I realized that we're not just talking this talk. We're really walking it in that we're okay with having these conversations, even in those small moments, and creating impact. You both have talked a lot about the impact of the program on your library. Do you have any sense of the impact on the community? People started hearing in our community that we were having these conversations and then, could you come to our church to do this? Could you come to, you know, could you, could you, could you? And we were like, but we can't, you know, we have a whole library system to run. At that rate, we would have spent every hour of our day having these conversations with people. So we were like, how can we connect people with the information they're asking for? How can we empower them to have these conversations on their own? It was our own community to let us know that we were ready to really give people the tools. The impact of what we're doing is that people feel comfortable laying down the walls that they build every single day. But when you have it in that circle, in that room, in that moment, we create this hollowed space where people are authentically themselves. And that to me is the biggest impact. We've had women cry because they didn't realize their privilege. Then they hear their colleagues talk or their friends or, or the people that have come and the community members. That doesn't happen every day. So I think we're probably one of the few places where people can have this opportunity and that alone is is really powerful. There have been conversations that people have said, I've never told anyone this. We also get to hear stories of what their experience is and having never been asked that, I think it always feels like, I don't want to say relief, but maybe like, I'm so glad you asked because I've been carrying all this around. When people speak from their own personal experience, it really is. I don't use the word life-changing lightly, but it really is. So one of the things about this conversation too is it is an invitation. So everybody that shows up is willing to have the conversation. There's no awkwardness about like, are you okay talking about this? This is what we're here to talk about. And people feel relieved. One of the best statements that I've heard a woman said you know, before I came in here, I didn't feel so great about my neighbors. I didn't feel great about the community I lived in. I didn't feel great about people who didn't look like me. 
But being here for these two hours, I now feel closer to my neighbors. I'm going to give it a try. I'm going to try to put myself out there more. That's like a stamp of approval right there. (laughs) You can't underestimate how beautiful that is. On the successes that you were having at your library with the program, is that when you decided that, hey, this would be something great for other organizations and other libraries? How did the library go about creating the open curriculum? I was thinking just get it out there and and get people what they need. But it took a minute to kind of step back and think, how do we create this lasting, living, breathing document that not just gives people the fish, but teaches people how to fish? We knew how to do the work, but to explain how to do that work to somebody that wasn't in our culture or wasn't a part of our library, we weren't so sure. So we we did have to go out and we hired a curriculum design company, Advancing with Purpose. They were our curriculum designers. They helped us. They met several times. Heather can talk a little bit about that process. And then we also did a video component, which was really important to us from the very beginning, that we have videos to show people how to do these conversations. What does it look like when the conversations go left a little bit and and how do you get it to go back, you know, in the right direction. And so we really started knowing that we needed somebody to help us with the curriculum. We really wanted this product to reflect who we are and how we go about this work. So they were really great and such a good guiding force and were really patient and generous with us in terms of like this process, which was so new for all of us. And I would be remiss if we didn't mention the work of our former co-lead, Randy Heath. I would be remiss to not talk about his work and his contribution to our efforts and getting us where we are. We ended up on the cover of Library Journal in no short part because of what he and Heather built for Let's Talk Race. Those two, Heather and Randy, were just amazing. What has the response been? Do you know how many libraries are embarking on this journey? One of the things we wrote in the grant was that within the first six months, we'll have 100 people download the curriculum. So for us to be three weeks in and we're almost at 200, I think that speaks volumes to how needed this curriculum is. One of the things that we did talk about, because we talked with our marketing team about how to get the word out, is we knew that we wanted to keep the conversation going. And that's also part of like our continuing philosophy. One conversation isn't going to make a difference in a community. And this curriculum is something that we have to keep talking about constantly because it's needed, it's necessary. And again, just like we've been saying, it's totally free. You know, our hope is that we will be able to connect with libraries and organizations that have utilized this and have some online virtual meetings to say like, how's it going? What can we do? Or what do we need to add or whatever? So like Tamara said, it's going to be living and breathing and we hope to make updates and ads, especially as we um, continue conversations in our community, we'll be adding materials that we find helpful. I think we've made it so that everyone can participate in this curriculum, but maybe you need a little guidance or you'd like to at least have some conversations with a member of our team on best practices or things that you need some clarity on. So we're hoping to do some train the trainer events too. For our listeners who might be thinking about starting a Let's Talk Race program at their library, what is advice for any pushback they might receive? Don't be afraid to start small. Make sure that your team members know why they're doing what they're doing. Make sure that you're really clear of who you are as a library, as an organization. You really got to nail down your why. Because when the haters come, when the detractors come, when people who are saying that you're, you shouldn't be doing this work. And we got more of that, too. I think that was the thing that we got more. And I was surprised about people saying, what do you know about race and equity? Y'all are a library. 
And I thought, well, you just answered your question. We know everything about (laughs) equity and inclusion because we are a library. But I think as long as you're really crystal clear about your why, you can move from that. And we don't waffle. That's one of the things that I, I think I learned from my PR background and my communications background is the minute that you kind of let people see you shake a little bit in your foundation and, and your why, then they can kind of pounce on that because they see an opening. But if we say as a library, this is who we are, this is what we believe, and this is who we affirm, that's it. You know, because everything has to come back to that. And so if we're really clear, I think that would be my advice. Get your why down really early before you start this. If your why is just to check a box or if your why is to be on trend with some things that are happening in your community, that's not a good enough why to sustain you. It's just not enough. One of the things to work on first is to see where you are. Check your readiness. There are small ways to start. You can start with a book group, which feels very comfortable for a library. Again, it's easy to justify why we're having a book group. It's just a, a book group with a very particular perspective. We've brought in podcasts, which are great too, and movies. But you can start in those little ways. You can also start just with a, a community group or an employee resource group that might want to get together and have these conversations. So I think there's all kinds of ways to start. I think the important thing is to start. Any other advice for libraries that are going to start the Let's Talk Race programming at their libraries? Leave your ego at the door because you're going to get called on things that you didn't know that you were doing. That's been a good lesson for us too. The more that we have said that this is who we are, then we're held to that standard, right? So that means that we're going to get people saying, okay, you said this, but you may have done that, or maybe you didn't realize it, but you did this too. And I think it's easy to go, well, wait a minute. We've done all these things. We've created a curriculum. We've got EDI focus groups. We've got an EDI coordinator, you know, all the things. But at the same time, you have to be open and not have any fragility when it comes to being called out on something after you've had all this experience. Even when you've had all this experience and even if you've been doing the curriculum or you've been doing EDI work at your library for months or years, there's always room to grow. And I think this curriculum is just another tool in the toolbox to helping people grow and and add to the work that they're doing. We also have tools if you need a more formal kind of way to approach this project. So we use a project management a lot. So we have like charters on there and things like that. So depending on where you're at and what kind of support you need, we tried to meet as many people where they're at as possible with our curriculum. So what's next for Let's Talk Race? We're continuing to expand our conversations in different areas, but hopefully what we're hearing is we're having more and more libraries and organizations in our state and in our community and in our country take on this curriculum and have these conversations. I mean, I think that's really the best thing that can happen for us is that we're able to empower people to have more of these conversations. I think that would be our hope. And I'm also really interested in our library having an EDI conference. So that's a big audacious goal. That's where I would love for us to kind of transition or spend a lot more time in than we've been doing previously is really leaning into the fact that we are facilitators who've been doing these facilitations for seven years. I think shifting our focus from being kind of newbies or kind of new to this work or taking baby steps, I think we need to shift our focus now to being settled 
and being honest about the fact that we do have a certain level of expertise when it comes to holding these kinds of conversations or facilitation as a whole. So I would love for us to have an EDI conference and a more train the trainer events so that we get more people walking out the curriculum in their communities, not just ours. That was Tamara King and Heather McHugh of the Richland County, South Carolina Public Library talking about the Let's Talk Race project. Thanks for listening.